Michelle Donnelly, and this is the Christian Single Moms Podcast. I believe that every single mom can discover a life of peace, power, and purpose, and that you can do it right through the things that God is carrying you through in your season as a single mom. Here we talk about all of the things that matter to a single mom, but most of all, I hope you found a place where you feel like you belong. Let's get started. Hey, I'm so glad you could be with me for this conversation today. I'm your host, Michelle Donnelly. When it comes to the things that we've journeyed through, very often we may experience this sense of rejection that can make us feel pretty disqualified when it comes to the future and whether or not God has anything for us. I'm joined in this conversation today by Samara Dean. And Samara is here to talk with us about her story and how God has worked through her life to show her and all of us that He always has more in store. Over the last several months, I've received several emails from women asking, where is the loneliness type quiz? And it is back. As single moms, loneliness is something we all have to deal with, but the reasons why we each deal with it are different and don't have that much to do with being in a relationship. To learn more about your experience with loneliness, what's causing it, and some of the ways out, start with our What's Your Loneliness Type quiz. And you'll find a link to that down in the show notes or by heading over to plusoneparents.org. You know, a lot of times in Christian circles and in churches, we talk about things like purpose that comes from our pain. But what I appreciate about Samira's story is seeing that, yes, purpose does come out of our pain, that God doesn't waste anything. But in the meantime, He's also setting us free. Here's my conversation with Samira Dean. Samira, I'm so excited to have you with me today. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you, Michelle. I appreciate you for having me. I yeah. Actually, not only do I appreciate, but I'm honored that mm. you would even um, select me to be a part of your platform for a time such as this. Well, apps and for a time such as this, you have such a beautiful testimony. And so I'm just excited to have you here to talk with us about your journey and your story and um, just to share what God has been teaching you through it all. So I wanted to know, though, if you would start us off, you know, kind of early in your story, you had experienced some pretty devastating losses really young. And, you know, in that, that shapes the way that we start to see ourselves and the world around us and God. I wanted to know if you would just start by telling us more about the way that you grew up and how that did end up impacting the way that you saw yourself in the world. Well, absolutely, Michelle. So um, I grew up in a normal home, um, a two-parent home. Uh, By the time I was 10 years old, my dad died of esophageal cancer, leaving my mother, a 38-year-old woman, to raise my brother and I by herself. Um, My mother ended up having to move back to her father's house, which unfortunately was in a very high-profile gang area. When people think of San Diego, they think of palm trees, They think of beautiful weather and they think of sun, no rain. 
However, unfortunate for me, that was not the life that I was exposed to growing up in a very high gang profile area. Um, my mother refused to get on welfare, government assistance or food stamps. And so she worked two jobs just to support my brother and I. And so she was at work from sunup to sundown. 8 a.m. she would go to work and she wouldn't get home to 11 o'clock at night. And so that left me to be the caretaker of my brother and I. But of course, I was only around the age by this time, 13 years old. Um, I still wanted to be approved and accepted and live my life as a child. I didn't want to have to raise my little brother and not be able to have a life. And so I started hanging outside, not realizing that the very children that I was hanging out with were gang members. And, um, you know, they just were children that maybe a parent would not want their child to hang around. Mm -hmm. um, and so I started getting involved in the streets. I started getting involved in um, just hanging around gang members. By the time I was 16, um, I was a gang member. I was very involved in gang activity. By the time I was 18 years old, I became pregnant and I was a teen mom. Again, my mother was doing all that she could, Michelle, to take care of us. Yeah. And that was work two jobs. But I was at this place in my life when you turn about 15, 16, where you want to be accepted. And that spirit of rejection is insidious, mm -hmm. Michelle. Yeah. The Lord revealed to me that the spirit of rejection will have a person selling their soul just to be accepted. Mm -hmm. And at 16, you do not understand the magnitude of, of what it means to sell your soul. And that's what I had did during that time. I sold my soul because I wanted to be accepted by my peers, mm -hmm. which were the wrong group of peers to be accepted by. And I was also raised in church. So I was raised in church, but it was just when I, you go to church, but when you go home, it was that pool of wanting to be accepted by the people in my community. My church was a place that I was going to three times a week, but my community is where I was established and I lived and I wanted mm -hmm. to be accepted by those group of children. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about that spirit of rejection because this is a this is a thing I have battled for much of my life. So I absolutely resonate with what you're saying. Can you pinpoint back in your story where you think that that really took its root? You know, where where you started to experience this sense of rejection, how you saw yourself, how did you think God saw you at that time? Well, I can say that it started from the moment my dad died. Mm. Um we have to understand the value of having a father in the home. And for some of us, I was a single mother. Sometimes we don't have the ability to have a father in the home, but the value even of a fatherly figure. Mm -hmm. So after my dad died, I didn't have a fatherly figure. I had my mother, but again, my mother was working two jobs. I didn't have that male figure to affirm me and to tell me, um, you know, good things or to tell me things about my identity, that I'm beautiful inside and out, that I am intelligent, that I don't need um, to be validated by society to feel accepted. Mm -hmm. And I did not have that. And so so I went to people that also <laughs> did not understand their identity yeah. to validate my identity. And it was more like the blind leading the blind, Michelle. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And even though you were growing up in church, what was the disconnect for you in your relationship with God or how you understood God? 
I actually didn't, I did not know what it was to have a relationship. Mm -hmm. And I think too many times when we go to church, we take our children to church, we give our children our relationship with God versus helping our child to cultivate their own relationship with God. We take our children to church. And I was guilty of this, you know, in the beginning, taking my daughter to church, putting her in the choir, taking her to Sunday school. But those are just activities. Mm -hmm. That's not what it takes to build a true relationship with God. And so during that time, I actually didn't know what it was like to have a relationship with God. I just knew the religious aspect of it. I'm going to church. I'm going to Sunday school. I'm singing in the choir. And this is it. So at this point, you're thinking, I'm doing it. I'm going to church. I'm doing it. This is how you do the God part of your life. And so I'm doing this part, but feeling this pull that, well, my acceptance though is coming from my community, the people around me. And, and moving more in that direction. Would you talk about then how this also influenced the relationships that you were having with peers, but who were men, young men? Well, to be honest with you, when I was going to church, it really, again, wasn't that relationship. I didn't think it was the God thing to do. I thought this was the mom thing to do. Mm. I was only going to church because that's what my mother wanted me to do. Mm. At the end of the day, if I had my own um, choice and I was uh, allowed to make my own decision, I wouldn't have went to church. I didn't feel like I belonged at church. There was not a sense of belonging. Mm. Now, fast forward, the way this trinkled into my relationships with different men, and the young men, I felt as if those men looked at me as if I was valuable Mm -hmm. and they were loving me, but it was a false perception of what love was. I I would find myself getting involved in a multitude of relationships with men and young men just to be accepted, just to be liked, just for someone to affirm me. However, it was extremely toxic and I found myself time and time again, Michelle, getting into verbally abusive and abusive relationships time and time again because of that spirit of rejection, selling my soul just to be loved and accepted. I can completely resonate with what you're saying because I had also this spirit of rejection that I was carrying around, but I love what you said that we're getting this false experience with love. We think it's love. We think this is what love is supposed to look like. This is what we see in movies, or this is what we envision that maybe we're getting into that. Yeah, there's some things that aren't so great about it, but this person's also doing these other things that, you know, make me feel special, make me feel accepted. So I'm having kind of this mixed experience with this, but Hey, nobody is perfect. And at least somebody is paying attention to me. And that just kept me on the track of not really being able to understand that real love is not mixed up like that. Real love, especially as we see it modeled to us through healthy relationships, through our relationship with the Lord, that that real love doesn't have these toxic elements that we have to put up with it. Yes, nobody is perfect, but you are worthy of being treated with care consistently, that this is something that when there's mixture like this, that we should know right off the bat that that's not love. But I think for one reason or another, many of us when we're young don't understand that fully clearly. And so we're willing to accept a lot. And I think in my case too, it was this sense of like, this is what Christians do. You know, we accept other people, flaws and all, 
Right. Not recognizing that there are some flaws that we don't put up with. Quickly, I wonder very quickly what I wanted to tell you also is that what the enemy does to children is he'll begin to pervert what love really is. And so that's what happened to me. And not until recently, God showed me because I was thinking, I was watching um, something on social media about a young girl and she was explaining her version of love. And so the Holy Spirit told me to write love on a piece of paper, L-O-V-E. And he told me, I want you to now spell it out backwards, which is E-V-O-L. And it spelled Mm evil. And I looked up the word twisted in my um, Strong's Concordance and twisted is perverted. And so what the enemy has done is he's twisted what love really is. Mm -hmm. And so that's what he had did to me during that time. You know, as young girls, again, we, we think that a, a man affirming us is him kissing us or being sensual with us. And yeah. that doesn't mean that someone loves you because they are being sensual with you. Yeah. It's perverted. Mm-hmm. And so um, I just wanted to give my two cents on that. Oh my goodness. That's a, that's a wise word. I'm so glad that you did. And I think that sometimes though that can come with us for a while. I mean, I got that even after my divorce, you know, here I was in my mid thirties and still thinking that still thinking if a man is giving me uh, physical attention, then that means that this is validating, that this is worthwhile. Um, not realizing how low I was setting the bar and that when we do set the bar that low, there is so much danger to ourselves, but then we also are not, we're not seeing ourselves the way that God sees us and we're not understanding it from his perspective. And I think though, daring to see yourself on a higher level than you have before, just feels sometimes when you have been mistreated and when you have had these really negative experiences, when you do feel rejected, it's sort of like, is that even possible? Does that exist? Right. For me, it was just something that I couldn't even get my mind around it until right. I had had so many rejections that I was ready to say, uh, okay, I'm putting myself out there for this. I don't want to do this anymore. Right. Right. And it does happen. It does happen like that, but it's not the way that God has yeah. ordained for it to happen. Yeah. And it's like, when we really, we have to, as women really figure out and really seek God out for what 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 love really is. Mm. My daughter and I were talking the other day and we were discussing the uh, love languages. But the love languages, it's not what God calls love. Love languages really are so carnal, but that's not godly love. Mm-hmm. So if uh, someone is not doing something for me or gifting me with things, then the way society will make it feel is if or it will have me view um, I don't that person doesn't love me. Mm-hmm. But when we equate it, when we equal it up and we line it up with what God says is love, then we will understand and we will be able to recognize really what agape love is. Mm -hmm. Everything we do in life has to be predicated upon what the word of God says. If it does not align up with the word of God, it is a lie because Mm -hmm. God's word is the truth. Yeah. Samara, how was it through your journey that God brought you into this place of having relationship though, of of going from a situation where you were in a gang and became a team mom. Uh, talk to us about how this story continued to progress. Well, I had to bump my head so many times. Mm. 
And I thank God for allowing me to bump my head. I thank God for allowing me to go through the fire because me going through the fire was burning off those impurities. When gold is tested, what happens, Michelle, the process is that it will go through fire so that the impurities can be burned off. And when the impurities are burned off, the gold will come out in its purest form. I had to go through those things to get to the place where I'm at right now, when I understand this one thing, and that is when God is all that you have, God is all that you need. Too many times we as believers and even as humanity, we want to go against the, the pro. we don't want to go through the process. We don't want to be hurt. We don't mm-hmm. want to be rejected. But in order for us to get to the promised land, we have to make sure that we are able to get through the wilderness season. We can't go through the, we cannot get to the promised land and not go through the wilderness. What type of God what type of father would God be if he if he just put us in the land of milk and honey without testing us to see if we were ready to yeah. receive everything that came with the with the milk and honey? Mm-hmm. That's so good. I love that you brought that that word, the wilderness, into this because over the last few years, I've kind of thought about you know when if you are in a, an instance where God is pulling you out of something and He's rescuing you, whether it's your sin or someone else's. There is this period of time where we don't really know if we can trust God. We don't really know who we can trust around us. And so it does feel like we are wandering. And though a lot is made of the Israelites being disobedient and wandering for 40 years for a journey that should have been 11 days, it was in God's kindness, though, that He allowed that immaturity and those tendencies towards idolatry to all just finally be wrestled to the ground because they weren't going to be ready for what was going to come next. Because when they were going into the promised land, it wasn't like, oh, here it all is. We're just going to cross the river and it's like there for the taking, right? They had battles that were going to be happening because people were already living there. And so the wilderness, though it is, it is a time where it is very uncertain. There is a lot of fear. Our own wilderness season can feel so isolating, can feel like we can't rely on anyone. It is in that though, that as you said, we recognize God is all that we need and he is preparing us. He's building our capacity. He really does want to give us so much more, so much more in our lives. But when we have this spirit of rejection and when we have this um, scarcity mindset, we won't even lay a hold of what he has got if we don't have capacity built for it first. And so in that period of time, it's not, and I I think it's such a tragedy then when we talk about, you know, oh, well, you don't have enough faith or, you know, when people cast others aside for having doubts, because those are the things that lead us to asking the right questions to start to get to know who God is. And you can't trust somebody that you don't know, right? God wants us to ask the hard questions so that we can get to know him and start to lean into him because what he has ahead for us is beautiful, but there's also some challenge that comes with laying a hold of it. And he wants us to know through the wandering that he's on our side. Absolutely. And I think too many times we've been taught in a religious way that we're not supposed to ask God for anything, Mm. that we are just supposed to be led by God. But his word specifically says, ask and you shall receive. Mm. Knock, 
and the door shall be open. Seek and you will find. That's why David was a man after God's heart because David was a man that inquired of the Lord. He asked God questions. And like you said, if we don't go through that wilderness season, we won't have the right questions to ask. So because of that wilderness season, we now know how to develop and cultivate a relationship with our father. And we're able to ask him, what do you want me to do? Why am I here? And you're able to develop a relationship versus it being something religious and you learning only what your past or your mother or your grandmother wants you to know. You now have that relationship between you and your Abba father. Yeah. Let's talk about that relationship part because you said when you were younger, you didn't really understand that part. And I know I didn't either. Where was the point in your story where you started to see this connection with God as something that was not only needed, but you also just started maybe feeling compelled towards? When I was 25 years old and I was looking at a five-year minimum maximum prison sentence, I remember getting incarcerated, going into a cell, and the Lord strategically set this up, Michelle. He put me in a cell with a woman. She had to be at least 50 years old, and she didn't speak any English. Mm. And so I'm a person, I love to talk. I'm a people person. I'm like in between extrovert, introvert. and I just knew, okay, I'm going to go in here and I'll have someone I could talk to. No, she didn't understand anything I was oh. saying. And so I remember <laughs> asking for a Bible I, mm-hmm. or it was a Bible laying on the desk and there was a Bible laying on the desk. And I remember asking for a pen and paper and I just started reading the word. I, w- I just started reading and I started figuring out who this Jesus was that my mother was enforcing upon me to know. And it was during that time that I encountered Jesus and he began to show me that he would never leave me and he would never forsake me. And from then on, it was go time, girl. I mean, I was not looking back. The Lord just began to unravel himself and unveil himself and in miraculous ways that I could. I mean, I didn't expect that. I just expected to read a word, maybe get strength. But, you know, when you start getting deep into your word, the Lord starts talking back to you Mm -hmm. through his word. And Mm -hmm. that's what he started doing for me. And I started wanting more. I started becoming addicted and obsessed with Jesus. I started becoming addicted and obsessed with the Holy Ghost. And I started learning I started understanding. I became, you know, the scripture says, those who hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled. That scripture literally became life in front of me. I started hungering for the things of God. I started becoming thirsty and, and the Lord was satisfying me. Even in the midst of everything that I was going through, the Lord was satisfying me and resting my soul. Mm. So it sounds like he had kind of sequestered you then into the situation where you were not going to be able to socialize with anybody and you had this opportunity to just be alone with him and start to let him tell you who he was yes. rather than you, as you said before, you know, you're kind of just carrying on your parents or your, your mother's religion, you know, right? and now where it starts to become something that is personal. Correct. Where, what were some of the things that you can point to in that period of time that maybe started to, to switch the dial in your mind a little bit about the way that you were thinking about yourself and your life, and then how that was going to impact your daughter's life. I started feeling loved. And I had never, 
ever. I didn't feel loved. And I'm getting ready. I'm like, I'm not going to cry. I'm not promise. I'm not going to cry. But for so long, Michelle, after my dad died, I didn't feel loved. I didn't feel loved by my mother. Um, the reason why I had a daughter, I have stated that the reason why I'm going to have a baby at 18, I knew I didn't have a baby by the right person, but I said, I just want someone to love me. And I knew that this little girl was going to love me. But when I was incarcerated, the very thing that I love so much was taken away from me. I was not able to talk to my daughter. I didn't want her to know that I was incarcerated. So I wasn't, I was stripped of everything. And so God started showing me, daughter, I love you. Daughter, I'm here for you. I mean, I looked up, I started getting favor from the guards. I was getting favor from some of the most hardest inmates that were some of the most feared inmates in that, uh, in where was I located? I was located in Las Colinas. And I started getting favor with, I mean, favor that I didn't even know existed before. And the Lord just was showing, I love you. I'm here for you. I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. And it was during that time that he showed me his love. And I had never known love like that before. And it was really that love aspect, that agape love. He showed me, I love you. Yeah. You know, and I think that is the the thing about these broken, difficult seasons that we go through, where the things that we were relying on, we can't anymore. The th- whatever they are, you know, we all, we all have them, you know, and we have them. And then if they get taken away, sometimes we replace it with something else. But this is the God who pursues the, he is the God. He will do whatever it takes to get you in a quiet space with him yes, so that he can show you just how treasured that you are. Yes. Um, I had an experience this week. I went to a, a prayer time and the, even woke up that morning, not knowing what I was going to pray about, not knowing what I wanted to be prayed over for. And right. it was about this spirit of rejection. Same thing. It was knowing where this is rooted, but not understanding like I've, I've dealt with all this stuff. I've worked past it. You know, I, I feel like I'm doing pretty good. So why do I still carry this around? Why do I still wonder what are they thinking, you know, or, or those types of things. And in it, recognizing what I did not receive, having the Lord tell me what I didn't receive. You know, mm. I can go write a list of what I think I didn't receive, but have God tell me what I didn't receive, what the lies are now that I believe about myself that are connected to those things, but then asking him, what does he say instead? And, you know, I, again, we can, I can think about what does God think about me and I can read my Bible and those types of things. And I'm not saying don't read your Bible, read your Bible. Like that's how you're going to know the shepherd's voice. That's he's going to use his own words to talk back to you. So yes, read your Bible. But in this time of, of intercessory prayer, you know, asking in real time, Jesus, what do you say about me? And hearing the words that he says, hearing the things uniquely, just uniquely to my own life and even my own experiences having him point those out and pinpoint those things out. It is sometimes though, where we will like get so busy or we just run ourselves around so much that we don't even spend time to digest these things. And a lot of times we're afraid of what we're going to find, right? We're afraid that maybe there'll be something not so good in there. But in that prayer time, it was that he was not going to allow for all those lies to be exposed without replacing them with his just absolute love and truth. 
Okay, let's get real for a second. Have you ever just looked around at your life and thought, is this really all that there is? I know I have. But what if God actually agrees with us? Plus One Parents has released a brand new Bible study experience called Made for More, 30 Days of Discovering God's Redemption in Your Disappointment. In this study, you'll have a look at the scriptures and what they tell us about where God is in our disappointment, what He is doing to draw near to us even when we have doubt, and exactly what He is doing to redeem every last piece of our stories, even the mistakes. Made for More is now available, and it's part of the Plus One Parents Collective all-access membership level, which you'll find a link to down in the show notes. What you see around you in life right now is not all that there is. You were made for more. So talk about your experiences as you were in prison and then coming out that you must have thought at this point, like, okay, things are going to be different, but that doesn't always mean easy. (laughs) So would you talk about that transition, but where you continue to see God work in that? Right. So I'm thinking like, I'm so fired up. I've been reading my word for this 86 days and life is just going to be great. Um, When I was incarcerated, things were lining up. I just was in this positive space. Um, Just really happy. Most of the time, you know, you're, you're in the lion's den when you are incarcerated and I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to get out. Everything is going to be peachy creams, a bed of roses, Well, that's not the case, Michelle. Mm. All hell broke loose. Mm. My family turned their back on me. My daughter's family turned their back on me. I was homeless, singing in the park for tips. I was, uh, you know, going and applying for at least 10 to 20 jobs a week. And because I had a felony, I was not able to get a job. But the Bible says in James 1, it says that we are going to face trials of many kinds. It didn't, it didn't, that, that scripture didn't make sense at that time till years later, you know, and the Bible tells us God sets us up and he prepares us that we're going to face trials of many kinds. He doesn't say what those trials are going to be. It may be the loss of a job. It may be the loss of a family member. It may be the loss of a spouse, but they're trials so that when we continue to persevere, God states that we will be complete and mature, lacking nothing. And so God began to show up, although all hell was breaking loose on the outside. I didn't know that that was really building up spiritual armor on the inside of me. And I mentioned the wilderness earlier. God began to reveal to me that warriors are made in the wilderness. Mm -hmm. And so God was just building up this spiritual warrior, woman of God in me that would be able to face any trial so that I would be mature and complete, lacking nothing, knowing that if God before me, who can be against me? I went from being a baby to again, being a spiritual warrior, being able to face spiritual warfare. Because in life, this is a spiritual battle that we are going through. We are a triune being, whether we like it or not. We are in a spiritual warfare. Mm -hmm. You can either um, fight the good fight or you can be destroyed by the enemy for not fighting the good fight. Mm -hmm. You have either two choices, fight or be destroyed. Yeah, And that, I mean, 
And that's just the way it is. And so God revealed himself to me in that way. It was no longer, he was not, he was not patting me on the back, but he was maturing me into the warrior that he has called me to be. And so I seen God in a different light. I start seeing scriptures that I had never seen before, like Luke 10 and 19, which says, behold, I have given you the authority to trample over the serpent and the young lion and all of the power over the enemy and nothing by any means shall hurt you. He started saying Psalm 91 to me, a thousand will fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. He started speaking Isaiah 41 to me, behold, I have chosen you and not rejected you. I have made you into a sharp threshing board, sharp with new with many teeth. I mean, and I started seeing warrior scriptures, Michelle, that I had never seen before. And so that's who God, God was showing himself to me as not Jehovah Jireh, my provider, but he was showing himself to me as El Gabor, a mighty warrior. Mm. And so we we talk about the many names of God, Jehovah Jireh, you know, Elohim, El Shaddai. And so I got to know God as El Gabor, a mighty warrior in my mm. life. I got to know God as if God before you, who can be against you? Yeah. And you start looking at life a lot differently. You know, what's interesting as I'm listening to you talking about this, though, is that you were talking about having this spirit and fear of rejection. And yet here it was actually happening. You were actually finding yourself being rejected by the people around you as you were coming out into this zone. But you had this new sense of yourself and new sense of God being for you that though this thing that here we, here you feared, here we all fear as you're facing it, it's actually the thing that now God's working for, for your good through it and showing you where he wants you to go though. And it's painful though. It is painful for us to be ripped away from the things that we know. But in this, he shows us the direction that he does have beyond this. Would you talk about that part of your journey? So now you're walking through this where it's very difficult, but where God was leading you towards through it. God started leading me into a foreign land throughout that whole season. And it was about three to four years I was going through this, not knowing that God was setting me up to move to Atlanta, Georgia. And he was getting ready to put me on my Abrahamic experience and Mm -hmm. and the same road that Abraham was on where God was sending him into a foreign land. He didn't know where he was going, but all he knew was, Lord, I trust you. Mm -hmm. And that's what God was setting me up. He said, okay, now I'm establishing you. You're a warrior now. Now I'm getting ready to send you into a foreign land. And I know that you're ready. And it was something in me that said, I'm ready. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it didn't make sense to anyone. I didn't have a job. I didn't have an apartment. I didn't know anyone in Atlanta, Georgia at the time. I just knew that if I had hit rock bottom, in San Diego, and the Lord covered me and kept me and my daughter, that if I was going to Atlanta, Georgia, that God would keep me there. He's the same God today, yesterday, and forever. He was the same God for me while I was incarcerated, the same God that was there for me when I was homeless. And I knew that he was going to be the same God that was going to sustain me when I moved to Atlanta, Georgia. And so I picked up everything that I had, which wasn't a lot. It was just an old 2002 Ford Ford Mustang, a couple of bags and my daughter. And we started out on a new journey. Was I a bit afraid? I was because this was something unfamiliar. I was stepping into an unfamiliar land. I had never visited Atlanta before. Um, I 
I, I'm just a woman of faith and I'm a person that I will just hop off the cliff and I'll fly. If I fall down like a bird, I'll get back up and I'll try again. Um, but that was because of everything that I had went through. The Lord was building my faith. Um, so again, I would understand that if God before me, who can be against me? Mm-hmm. Homelessness couldn't be against me. Rejection couldn't be against me. Not having enough money, that couldn't be against me. Lack, nothing. Again, I was com- I was complete and mature, knowing that I was not going to lack anything. And so God was setting me up for the t- a time, that time, because that time was actually setting me up for this very moment that I am in right now. And the thing I'm hearing come through so clearly though, in the way that you're talking is the absolute reliance and belief in God's promises. And that this, this would no longer were these scriptures, just like nice things to say and to like put on a plaque on the wall, you know, that because of the fire, because of the, the struggle that these promises are now like double underlined, you know, but that's what this season has been for me is every time I see, I will, I'm like, I'm double underlining that because that is God saying, I am doing this for you, my daughter. And I was celebrating when you were talking about Psalm 91, because God has been using Psalm 91 to just show me even in my relationship with him, how I still come like an orphan sometimes when I'm praying, you know, not taking authority. And that, as you mentioned, this is a spiritual warfare though. And these very difficult things that we're going through though is where we can approach God now knowing He is promising these things, knowing He is promising protection and provision and that He is our covering, He is our refuge, that the attacks of the wicked against us will be turned against their hearts, that we will look on and see the recompense of those who have tried to harm us. And Knowing that we can plant our feet on that, though, that in me reading this every day, you say you will do this, you say you will do this, you say you will do this, so that when the moment comes, I can look at that thing and say, no, my God says that he is against this, that he will provide for me, he will take care of this. Absolutely. And seeing him come through. But boy, it's one thing, like you said, to take it from I'm reading it and it feels good, you know, and all that kind of stuff to having to put it down into practice, move across the country and completely just go in faith. Absolutely. Not knowing really what lies ahead for you. But in that though, you've also experienced a deep sense of calling and anointing yes. for what God wanted you to do in that. So would you, yes. would you share more about that? Yes. So um, now as I followed God and I obeyed God, he was able to put upon me uh, his call. I'm an evangelist now and I'm also a chaplain. I go into the prisons, the very place that I was in. Now I go back into the prisons in the state of Georgia and I minister to those that are incarcerated. I'm now the head um, and director over the prison ministry at my church. Um, and I'm just really on a roll. Last um, last year, I went on my first missions trip to South Africa. And right, I'm just on a roll. I'm just really just doing what God has called me to do. But if you would have told me this eight years ago, I wouldn't have believed, I wouldn't have believed any of it. I wouldn't have believed that me, an evangelist, me ministering, me going into the prisons, I wouldn't have believed that. I I thought that there was another path for me that I wanted, I. And I think a lot of times we focus on what I want to do versus what God wants us to do. And he says in his word, I have have plans 
to prosper you. And so there was already a preordained plan for us even before we came to this earth. Mm -hmm. I was listening to another interview that you were giving and you shared more about prison ministry and the need that there really is in in that area. Would you talk more about that? Yes. Right now in prison, you have different ministries going in, but it's very slow Um, due to the pandemic and COVID-19. A lot of people have stepped back. And so people, there are certain prisons that are not even open right now. But when the prisons are open, it would be very amazing for churches to go in and to preach that gospel to those that are in a place where they see no hope, where everything is dark, where they feel as if they are lost and there is no way out. The Bible says that the stronger ones must bear the infirmities of the weaker ones. Right now, I'm God has shocked me. I'm not even going into a woman's prison, Michelle. I'm going into mm. all men's prison. Wow. And so I'm ministering to men on a weekly basis. And every single week I'm seeing these men being delivered. I'm seeing these men being healed, being set free by the power of, through the power of Jesus Christ and of the Holy Spirit. And it's just an awesome thing to see, to wow. see these men being healed set free and delivered and to honestly see the book of acts come alive where signs miracles and wonders are following us because we believe in the power of the holy ghost Mm. and so we need these churches to get in there we need the churches to get back active the season of waiting is it's 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 over it's Mm -hmm. done with the Mm -hmm. pandemic is done with we have people that are hurting right now we have people that need jesus they need hope right now Uh, i mean it it, almost again it almost puts me in tears to Mm -hmm. to know that you know we have people in here that are are hurting but we have a whole church that is not going in and maybe Mm -hmm. passing the baton on to other bigger ministries Mm -hmm. when you also, your ministry can be just as effective. Yeah. Just as effective to these people that are lost. I know me personally, when I was incarcerated, I looked forward to seeing these women come in every single Tuesday when they would call for us to go to church. And a lot of my breakthrough also was because of those women being so selfless coming in. No, you're not going to get paid, but the reward is so much more bigger when you see that people are being delivered. And when you are delivering them, you have to understand it doesn't only stop there. You are delivering generations upon generations. You are delivering the descendants of those people because Abraham was obedient. His whole uh, bloodline, Jacob, Isaac, um, David, I mean, it was a trinkle effect because of Abraham's obedience. Mm -hmm. I think, though, too, this is another area, you know, a lot of us may go through these time periods where we don't know that we're going to be very useful for God. You know, we don't, we may feel disqualified, but from what I have, you know, been hearing you share and what I've heard you share before, that there's a very distinct connection between having gone through a single mother experience or being in the midst of a single mother experience and then being able to visit with a woman who is a single mom, perhaps in a prison that, I mean, you're talking about ministering to men, but there's also this very distinct and very one-to-one sort of connection with a person that may like, 
have very similar sense of, you know, again, these spirits of rejection, like these things that just keep popping up over and over and over again, that we may all come from different places or, you know, have different backgrounds, how we grew up and all that sort of thing. But these things that we're being oppressed by are just all so similar. And that when we spend the time with the Lord and we grow and we allow him to heal us, that then we become these light bearers who can go into these places that perhaps we wouldn't have thought before, or we would have thought, I don't know how useful I'm going to be for God. And just putting ourselves in in the way, though, for, well, I shouldn't say in the way, but putting ourselves in the, in the opportunity, putting ourselves in the space for him to do what he wants to do. Absolutely. I go into a woman's transitional facility um, once a month. And I think a lot of times we allow ourselves to get into the way instead of completely surrendering because we may say, well, Lord, I don't feel like I'm qualified. Well, what does it mean to be qualified? You know, the Bible says there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death and separation. Again, there is a way that seems right. God would not have said that if people would we're not going to be trying to take matters into their own hands mm. and, and again, putting self above the will of God. God is not looking for you to be the what the world deems as being qualified. Uh, be, being qualified doesn't mean that you have a degree. Um, you you don't you don't even have to go through everything that I've gone through to be qualified. Your life story and everything that you've been through individually qualifies you for what God has called for you to do. There, there's a reason why we go through everything because it's only setting us up for what God has planned for us to do. There are some things you might be able to read. Well, I know you could be, you would be able to reach a woman who has been divorced. I would never be able to reach a woman. There are certain things that I would not understand, but you understand because of the things that you've gone through. Yeah. I mean, so we really, like you said, you have to sit down and have that talk with God and ask God, Lord, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? There are so many people that are qualified to be doctors and they are doctors, but they're not satisfied. Mm -hmm. They're incomplete because they didn't follow the plan of God mm -hmm. for their life. They followed mm -hmm. either what their parents wanted them to do or what society said was the right thing to do versus following what their creator and what their Abba father has already set forth for them to do. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's fulfillment right there. That right. is the thriving and flourishing life that is still ours. So as we're talking about, God has so much more for us. Like that is it right there. He sent each of us for a purpose. There's an intended purpose for which we are to fulfill and that we are though fulfilled in the process of that. He is not one-sided. He's not like, I'm taking what you can give me and I'm going to go bless other people with it. Like he's, he's like, no, I want you to be so empowered and so free that you cannot help but go share it with other people. Absolutely. And when we're dealing with that spirit of rejection, as I stated, it's so insidious and it manifests itself in so many mm -hmm. different ways in our life. One being, we end up rejecting the plan of God for our lives. Mm -hmm. We'll reject others in fear of, there's the word fear, because the spirit of fear, we don't want to be rejected. So we reject everyone else or we reject God's plan because we don't feel as if we are qualified or we meet the standard of God. 
because of that spirit of rejection. It's just, it's an insidious demon. We really need to target it so that we can walk in and step into destiny so that we can step into purpose and fulfill what God needs for us to do. In the word, it says all of creation is groaning. We are living in a day, in an age where the world is waiting for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. We go to the store every single day. For some of us, I was blessed where I can go to South Africa last year, but the missions field is wherever you live. The missions field is right there in Walmart. The word of God qualifies me. Just me being a believer is what already qualifies me because I have the keys to the kingdom. I have the keys to unlock someone's destiny. And I'll say the thing that I think we may even feel the greatest fear around, the greatest sense of rejection, possible rejection is very often the thing that we are very specifically called to do. Right. There are so many times where I sit back behind this microphone or I go do something and I'm like, what if I don't know what to say? (laughs) You know, like that, but that is that And I just have to cover it with scripture and remember that the Lord says, I will tell you what to say. And even in our inability to be eloquent, that shows even an authenticity that shows really who we really are, that we're right. just human like everybody else. You know, right. there's plenty of people who are well-spoken out there who are saying horrible things, you know, or who are Absolutely. living these double lives, right? They speak really well, but they're not being guided by the spirit. And so that's all we need to know is that we're just called to go. And when he's guiding the way, he's going to show us what to do. Especially right now, you know, we're in the last hour. It is go time. When you, um, I'm not sure if you're a sports fan, but when you look at a sports game um, or you're looking at a game, the last hour is when typically uh, the players, they push the hardest. And we are in the last hour and it's time that we push the hardest because it's, it's very dark. I don't know if you see it, but I see it. And the enemy really is working triple time to attack the identity of people so that they do not walk um, in freedom. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes people think that, you know, them having a lot of money, that's the key to success or their degrees are the key to success. But honestly, one of the keys to success is walking in freedom. If you can walk in freedom, you're really successful. Yeah. Like that's really successful to no longer be in bondage and to no longer be bound to the lies of the enemy. That's good. And and so many people, like I stated, they, they need, they need it. They need God right now. They need Christ. Christ is our hope. We, we really have to um, rise up. You know, they say in Atlanta for the Falcons, it's time for the people of God to rise up and wherever God has been calling you to. Maybe I I tell people, maybe you're maybe you haven't been called to prison ministry Mm -hmm. and um, maybe you haven't been called to um, assist with those that are homeless. But wherever your passion is, you will find your purpose. Mm -hmm. Maybe you're a great cook. Maybe you are a great chef and God is calling you to, you know, volunteer your time and your services to a nonprofit or to assist your church, your local church or something of that nature. But when you follow your passion, you'll locate your purpose. Mm. And the enemy is also doing a good job of attacking our identity. If he can attack our identity, I mean, He basically has us because our identity is the very depth of who we are. Yeah, yeah. And we spend a lot of time chasing that then instead of just knowing it 
and being able to walk in it. Samira, I am just so grateful for this time together. I could just talk to you all day long. <laughs> oh, I'm so honored. I could talk to you as well. You are so amazing. <laughs> At the end of every conversation, I ask each guest the same question. And it is, if there was just one thing that you would want a single mom to know, what would it be? Well, you know, I was thinking about this, Michelle, and I was like, okay, God, what am I going to say? Lord, give me the words to say for this. And I sat there and immediately the Lord gave me Isaiah 54. And this is what he gave me when I was going through certain situations with my daughter. There was a season where the fire had been turned up in my household and I was a single mother. No one understood. I didn't have anyone. And so the Lord revealed to me that Isaiah 54 is a letter from God to single mothers. Mm -hmm. And I just want to read Isaiah 54 and it's starting at verse four. And it says, do not be afraid. You will not be put to shame. Do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. You will forget the shame of your youth and remember no more the reproach of your widowhood for your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. He is called the God of all the earth. The Lord will call you back as if you were a wife deserted and distressed in spirit, a wife who married young only to be rejected, says your God. For a brief moment, I abandoned you, but with deep compassion, I will bring you back. In a surge of anger, I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. And verse 13 also says, all your children will be taught by the Lord and great will be their peace and righteousness. You will be established. Tyranny will be far from you. You will have nothing to fear. Terror will be removed far from you and it will not come near you. If anyone does attack you, it will not be my doing. Whoever attacks you will surrender to you. That is just absolutely the most perfect word. Thank you so, so much for sharing that with us. Amen. Samira, would you tell uh, listeners how they can follow you? Yeah, absolutely. I am on Instagram at Samira underscore me amour. You can also find me on Facebook at Samira Amour. And I also have a clothing brand that I'm uh, I'm rebuilding right now, but the name of the brand is called Stay Encouraged. And uh, the Instagram name is underscore stay encouraged. And I will include links in the show notes to make it easier for listeners to find you. But thank you so much. It was such a good time sitting down with you today. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Michelle. If you enjoyed this conversation, I've got a couple of others that I can suggest for you. Check out episode 134, Take Back Your Life, The Spiritual Warfare of Single Motherhood with Jennifer Maggio. Also have a listen to episode 129, He Calls You Beloved, how the fruit of the Spirit reveals who God is to us and who we are to Him with Jessica Thompson. I'd love to invite you to get more involved with the Plus One Parents community. If you head over to plusoneparents.org, you can sign up to become part of our free private community experience, the Plus One Parents Collective. On the website, you can also check out our blog and other resources on topics relating to dating and parenting, abuse recovery, and spiritual well-being. Or you can also get on our mailing list to receive Plus One Parent exclusive updates. 
You can also find us on Facebook or Instagram at plus1.parents. I'm so grateful that you're a part of this community and that you were able to join me for this episode today. I pray always that you would know that you are seen and you are beloved.